Well, good morning. Uh, looking forward to what God has for us uh, today. And uh, I don't really share a whole lot about this uh, every, every Sunday, but we do have a, what's called a PT with God, personal time with God. And this week, uh, we have a new book you're going to be reading. In fact, uh, you can go through the entire book in one week. It's the book of Ruth. And the reason I highlight that is it really fits with the theme we have this morning. As Bill was sharing, when life is not fair is what we're going to be talking about this morning out of the book of James. And, and Ruth is really a story, uh, particularly as it begins, about a family experiencing life not being fair. Just imagine losing your husband as you move to a foreign land and then losing your two sons and, and de- being desperate in terms of financial position and uh, having to go back to your homeland and in many ways uh, just look to see if someone will help you when you get there. When life is not fair. I uh, also want to let you know that uh, this week, and again, I probably should emphasize it every week, is uh, we have a missionary of the month or missionary of the week we uh, encourage you to pray for. And this week is uh, Wayne and Catherine Niles, and they're ministering in the Congo. And if you, would, if you want to picture a place where life is not fair, just picture the Congo. The Congo is, is a place in which, uh, and let's just be honest, um, put a label on it, racism is everywhere, sometimes within the same race. Uh, what they've had is civil war over the last number of years just between two tribes in this very small country, and just thousands and thousands of people have died because people can't get along. And just imagine that, uh, you losing uh, young ones in your home uh, because people are fighting for power. Uh, life is not fair. And the question that we have, well, how, how are we to respond to that when life is not fair? Uh, last week, if you're with us, uh, and you might have thought if you're not normally um, a church attender, you came and, and uh, your greatest fear was realized because the pastor was preaching on money. And you think every time you come to church, the pastor is preaching uh, on money, and you think that is just not fair. All right, you're helping me out a little bit, all right? Well, in reality, the context of that passage, and Bill did a great job sharing the broader uh, principles of Scripture in terms of uh, money being used in a wise way, uh, but he also set the context so uh, clearly and actually pictorially and, and imagining what was happening as James was writing into these churches that were struggling. And they were struggling because sometimes the people outside was making their life unfair. And even sometimes people within the church were making their life unfair. And particularly as it relates to to economics, uh, the basic essentials and needs of life. And just imagine, some of you might be in this place even today, that you're, you're living from paycheck to paycheck. And if something happens in a particular week or two week period of time, you're not sure if you're going to be able to pay the rent. Or you're not sure you're going to be able to pay your house payment. Or you're not sure what's going to be eaten that next day or that next week. Or what your future is going to be like. Because financially you're not in control. You are really at the mercy of those who are employing you. And if something strange happens there, your life is going to be filled with more questions than answers. And that's how it was there, but even to a greater degree, because they weren't just paycheck to paycheck, they were day to day. And there were really only two classes in that day. There was the rich and there were the poor, and the the poor really uh, had to make sure that every day they had some kind of money coming in or they would not eat. And, And because of that setting, those who were in the position of employing others had the power. And if they, for whatever reason, decided not to pay you after you worked a day, you were left without recourse. 
Because even if you took them, as Bill was sharing that, even if you took them to court, you had really no power because they could pay off the, the judge or whoever in a position of power to make the, make the judgment. And, and you had nothing to put pressure on them to do what was just, just fair. And you wonder many times, people think about, well, how, how could God, if there is a God, bring us into a life experience where that happens, not just in a, in a rare occasion, but it happens often. When, when things in life just are not fair. Well, James, just like in the book of Proverbs, he kind of goes from one theme to the, the next, but there is a line of connection. And really what we see this morning is, is God's counsel for us to how are we to respond when life is not fair. And there are varying degrees. All of us experience that at whatever depth. But we, we always question, well, now what? Now how am I supposed to fit God into all this that's going on when it just doesn't seem just? And how can I believe in a good God, an all-powerful God, when he allows that to happen? Well, this morning I have a very clear message for you. Uh, there, there are basically three principles that, that James shares to his people. And R. Kent Hughes, as he talks about the churches that he was speaking to, the, the churches that were dispersed, the Jewish churches, you know, in a geographical area. And he, 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 he coined it this way. He was speaking to people in churches that were being treated in the world like a soccer ball, soccer ball you know, at the World Cup. They were just getting kicked around everywhere. And, and he has some words of hope for them when, when life is not theoretically unfair, when life really was unfair, and how were they to respond? So if you ever take notes, if you never take notes, today is the day you need to take notes because these principles, these three principles, are ones you want to take home. Well, here's the first one. When life is not fair to you or to me, the first principle is be patient. Be patient. And you see that in the very first verse that we're going to be looking at this morning in James chapter 5. In fact, I haven't told you, but get your Bibles out or the one underneath your chair or the one chair next to you and turn to James chapter 5. If you're not sure what James is, find the last book in the New Testament. Get through the maps, find Revelation, hang a left a little bit, and you'll run into it. And in James chapter 5, and we're going to see these, these, these so clear, helpful principles when life is not fair. Uh, in James 5, 7, it says, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. So you, you can see the pastor didn't really throw anything in here you couldn't see. You know, he says right after, you know, you're not getting paid. Everything's going wrong. And I've, I've told the people who are doing the wrong what's going to happen to them. But you're saying, okay, that's going to happen to them. But what do I do right now? He says, well... Be patient. And that's the first principle. And then the second principle comes in verse 8. And he says, you two, be patient. You know what the second principle is? Be patient. And you think, okay, I think I heard that the first point. Why, why are you saying it again? Because here's the key. When life's not fair, you need to be patient. Be patient. And some of you are probably guessing right now, what do you think the third principle is? <laughs> be patient. He says in uh, verse 10 and 11, he says, I want you to think about the prophets, and I want you to think about a man named Job. And, and the prophets, uh, they were patient, or they had patience. And then in verse 11, he uses a different word that can be translated patience. He said, look at Job. He, he endured, or to put it another way, he was, he was patient. 
So, so this morning, this, this whole message is brought to you by the letter P and by one word, and the one word is be patient. Now, you all can go home now or go early to the fellowship hall, and you can get the goodies before the Sunday school class kind of picks over the good stuff, it's, because that's all I got to say this morning. In the midst of a world that goes wrong, that we feel there's more injustice out there than justice, when life's not fair, and let's be honest, life is not fair, and how many has parents ever told that to your children? Life's not fair. Grow up, all right? Uh, in the midst of that, James doesn't get very complicated here. He's just, oh, be patient. If you didn't hear me the first time, be patient. If you don't listen to me, listen to the prophets and Job, be patient. Now, as I was wrestling with this, and um, that's really all I have to say, but I will say a little bit more because, you know, I like to talk. So I, I will probably explain a few more things this morning, but that's really what he was saying. Have you ever uh, talked to a person who's kind of on the anxious side of life? They, they have a tendency to worry more than, you know, maybe they should, and they, they seem to be over, overwhelmed by the things that are not happening or going to happen in their life, and they're over, overly concerned about those things, and they're just filled with worry. And usually we gave them great advice. We simply tell them, don't what? Don't worry. And they're saying, thanks so much for that advice. That's so helpful. Yeah, when you tell someone not to worry, they, they don't get a lot of encouragement out of that. And when you're living a life that's filled with impatience, it's, it's not very easy to, to hear, well, just, just be patient about it. Uh, I was just thinking, I've got to share this uh, story for free. Remember a couple, I don't know, about a month and a half ago, Bill was, was preaching and he was talking about yellow lights. Anybody remember that? He was talking about yellow lights and he was coming off an intersection and there was this yellow light. It was, it was um, I don't know, maybe five feet from where he was at, and he slammed on the brakes because he, he thought that when you have yellow light, you're supposed to slow down and make sure you stop. And remember, I'm kind of embellishing the story just a little bit, okay? You know, he, he, saw, he saw yellow light, he said, well, that means to slow down. And, and then he, he, he didn't throw Pam underneath the bus, in my mind. He, he lifted her up. He said, well, that's not like Pam. She sells the yellow light. She says, can I get through it, all right? And I was thinking, well, just what, who do I, who am I more like? Am I more like Pam, his wife, or like Bill? When I see a yellow light, I have to admit, I'm thinking, okay, how much time do I got? Put the pedal to the metal. Let's get through it, right? You know, I, I'm not naturally a patient person. In fact, um, I, I have to admit this. I, the older I get, I seem to get less patient than I was. Now, I, I just want to say this to all of you uh, out there. You need, to, you need to follow Bill's advice. When you see a yellow line, you need to slow down. But I, and I'm trying to work on that. I, I hit three yellow lights on the way to church today, all right? But, you know, some of us, that's just not our natural bent. Is it? You know, we're thinking, I, I, I want to, I got places to go, people to see, places, you know, people to talk to. I got to get there, right? Everything needs to happen yesterday. Let's, 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 get it, let's get her done, right? But life's not lived that way, is it? And, and there's some things in life we can't control. No matter how much we push, you know, the pedal to the metal, you know, we can't control life by going on a rapid speed. And, and so, what James tells them and what James got it from was God, and he got it from not only the Spirit of God but the, the Word of God, is when life goes wrong, you need to be patient. So I was thinking about that. Okay, if that's true, okay, then, then what does it mean to be patient? So I, you know, I looked up where, you know, not necessarily a scholarly place, but I looked at Webster's. I said, well, what, what, does, it, what does it mean to have patience? And this is the very helpful, this is, I'm telling you the truth here, I always try to tell you the truth, but I'm telling you the truth now. Here's Webster's definition about patience. It is the capacity, habit, or fact of being patient. How many thought that's a helpful definition, all right? 
you know, patience is just, you know, learning to be patient. So I thought that that's not helpful. So I, you know, I went to a variety of different sources, and I'm going to give you some things that seem to resonate with me. Okay, well, what does it mean if I face life's trials patiently? Uh, here, here's some things that I thought were helpful. It, it is being content while waiting. Because really what patience is, is it, it, things are wrong now, but you know, that's just right now. There is a future. And as, as you're going through things that seem to be overwhelming, just wait a little bit longer. And maybe that which seems to be so wrong is, is going to be turned into that which is right. Just wait. The Bible talks a lot about waiting on the Lord. And so often, you know, we don't, we don't want to, at least I don't want to wait on the Lord. I want to tell the Lord what to do and let's do it now. Okay? And, and there's, there's an aspect where God says, I want you to wait on the Lord. But, but I found there, there are times where I have no option but to wait. And so that I think we need to add a qualifier there. You, you need to wait with contentment. Which means, God, God I'm going to trust you even though I don't really know what you're going to do next. Or not only what you're going to do, but when you're going to do it. And not only that, let's be honest, I don't know how you're going to do it either. And, I'm, and let's just be even honest, I'm not sure I'm going to like what you're going to decide to do. It might not meet my criteria of how I want it solved. But if I really trust you that you are good and you are powerful and in the end it's going to work out, then I, I want, my goal is to wait with contentment. Another way to define it, it is bearing pain or trials calmly and without complaining. And I guess in many ways, uh, calmly, uh, the, the, it can be defined about with the attitude, well, if I'm complaining, then I probably am not waiting very what? patiently or calmly. And so when I, when I see myself just rising up and just, you know, just kind of blasting out, then I, I haven't really learned how to be patient with calmness and without complaint. And, and then I put it this way, it, it's hanging in there, and that's one we describe, you know, when you're going through a, a, a difficult time, sometimes you feel like you're just holding on with the, the tips of your fingernails, just, I'm just barely getting through this. But I'm getting through it. It's hanging in there despite opposition, difficulty, or adversity. Another way to put it it is the ability and willingness to endure all things and not give up hope. And really, I think that's one of the reasons why one of the words for patience really is translated endurance. It's the idea of saying, okay, it's it's over the long haul, whatever that long haul is. I mean, I, you know, I can be patient if it's for, for a very short period of time, right? I'm, I'm really, you know, if it's just short, okay, if, that, if that light changes quickly, you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty well. But if, I could tell you some spots on certain roads. Those red lights stay forever, okay? Because, well, um, you know, in other ones, they go pretty quickly. But it's learning to endure and, and not giving a hope. It, it is going to eventually change. It is choosing to suffer long with circumstances and people with what kind of attitude, you think? A good attitude. And see, as I, as I kind of wrestle with the definitions, I go, man, I need to grow in patience. And not just learning to wait, because, you know, sometimes you have to wait, but I want to wait in such a way that it's God-honoring. And not only God-honoring, but life-fulfilling. I want to learn to, to wait with calmness and without complaint with contentment and learning to hang in there 
no matter what the opposition is. I, I, I want to be a person that, that no matter if it's the circumstances or the people, uh, I, I've learned to, to be willing to suffer long and not with a resentful attitude, with a good attitude. Now, in many ways, and I'm not sure how much I'm going to get to this morning, this begins with the depth to that very simple three-point outline that James gave his people then when life was not fair. And let me tell you, it was not fair. They were going without food. Their family was going out with food. They didn't know where they were going to be staying. They didn't have a whole lot of garments to, to, to clothe themselves. And he says, be patient. And there's a depth to that. It's not t- talking about putting on a silly smile when things are going wrong. But just wait on the Lord. Now, now I need to just share this with you or it might not come in later on. It doesn't mean that when things go wrong, that we aren't honest with God. That, that we, we somehow tell Him everything's going right when, when we really think everything's going wrong. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 77. I, I was just actually reading through this. I've been going through our series in 1 Corinthians with PT with God, but also been going through the book of Psalms. And, and uh, I came across Psalm 77 this week, and it really amazed me. There's 20 verses in the psalm. And if you were to divide it, it's nice when things divide pretty evenly. If you were to divide 20 verses in half, you'd have how many verses in the first part? 10, and the rest would be 11 through 20. This, is, this psalm is divided in half. And the first 10 verses, all you have is the psalmist, in a sense, yelling at God. Telling God how, how frustrated he is, not only with the circumstances and people in his life, but with him. Because he realizes no matter what he's going through, God could solve it immediately, right? He, it, there wouldn't have to be any waiting. It could happen instantly. And, and yet God is not doing it. And I just picked out a few verses here that describes his frustration. And he says in so clear of terms, uh, Psalm 77, verse 2, he says this. In the day of trouble, I sought the Lord. In the night, my hand was stretched out without weariness. But my soul refused to be comforted. It didn't help. Verse 3, when I remember God, then I am disturbed. Isn't that an interesting statement? I mean, this is, this is the Bible. He says, when I'm thinking about God, you know, and I'm pl- cl- crying out to him, it adds to my pain. I am just frustrated with him. I'm disturbed. When I sigh, then my spirit grows faint. It's not helping me, God, when I talk to you. You have opened my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I can't even speak. Look at verse 8. Has his, now he's speaking in, in, to God in the third person. He says, has his loving kindness ceased forever? And has his promise come to an end forever? I, I would say that person is pretty frustrated with God right now, right? I mean, he's being honest. He's venting, not to someone else, but he's venting to God. He said, God, you can correct this. You're not correcting it. I'm wondering if your promises are really true. When I come to you for comfort, I'm not getting it. I am so frustrated with you. Uh, these are called, uh, you know, technically, you know, what seminary students talk about or Bible students. They'll, they'll say these are the lament psalms. Th- these are the psalms where you really get the heart of the person being honest with God in their prayers. God, I am so overwhelmed by here, and you don't seem to be here. But then the rest of the passage speaks about, okay. Am I going to stay there, or am I going to take these 
pertains to you and believe that you are the one who will provide, maybe in a way I don't understand, but you will provide. Verse 11, I shall remember the deeds of the Lord. Surely I will remember your wonders of old. I will meditate on all your work and muse, meditate on your deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your strength among the peoples. You have... By your power, redeem your people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you. They were in anguish. The deeps also trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth a sound. Your arrows flashed here and there. The sound of your thunder was in the whirlwind. The lightnings up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was in the sea and your pass in the mighty waters. And your footprints may not be known. And then he said this. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So in just demonstrative way, he said, look it, I don't have any specific answers to my problems, but I know who I can trust in. And, and so as he was speaking to these people who were having difficult times making ends meet, surviving in the midst of the economic horrific environment they were in, he simply said, be patient. You can vent toward God, but then turn and say, God, I will trust you. And we'll see this time permitting and in looking at the prophets and looking at Job particularly that he who had much ended up having nothing and yet he said, I will still trust God. I will wait upon him. Just a couple other freebies. The two words for, for patience and endurance. Uh, hupomone has the idea of of remaining under, which means to endure, to, to continue under the pile in the midst of feeling the only way you can survive to get out or out of the pile. And saying, look, just, just wait on the Lord. When you've done everything that you can and you've prayed it up, just wait on the Lord. He will allow you to keep on keeping on. The other word for patience is a, it's a multi, it's a, it's macrothumos, which has the idea of of long, macro, rather than micro. You've probably heard that in economics. Uh, thumo or thumos has the idea of temper. It's, being, it's coming to that point that patience is having long temper, which if we were to put in our language, is, is a person who has a, a long fuse, right? In, in the midst of things that would bring anger to anyone. You, you, you desire not to have that short fuse that flares so quickly, but you, you have that capacity to to have a long temper, or as King James used to have it, not used to have, they still have in the King James, they said patience was often translated suffering long, long suffering, which taking that which is painful and saying, I'm, I'm going to allow my walk with the Lord to allow me to continue in this for a long period of time because God is still on the throne. Well, let's... Uh, Let's take this one point outline said three times by James. When life is not fair, be what? Patient. Learn to wait on the Lord with contentment, calmly, without complaint, enduring all things, not giving up, with, uh, filled with hope, and being willing to have a, a commitment to suffer long, to endure, whether the issue is circumstances or people. And really, that's, that's the places where we, we, we get frustrated, right? It's either the circumstances around us or the people around us that will just push our buttons to such a degree that we want to give up all hope and go some other direction. 
So that's what it is. That's what patience is. And I've spent most of my message on defining patience. But where does it come from? Where, where does this kind of patience come from when you're saying, look, I, I'm at the end of my rope, okay? I, I can't hang on any further. Well, I'm going to give you very simple points this morning. Uh, first of all, it comes from the Spirit. This is a God thing. This is not natural. Some of us have different temperaments, and we're more, you know, in a sense, patient than other people are patient. But when, when you are put up beyond your own personal limits, how do you, how do you hang in there longer than you normally would? Well, the only way that's going to happen is because of your relationship with God. Okay, this is, you know, a place like this is not a self-help group. We're not, we're not just sharing principles for you to go out and do these things, and if you apply these principles, they'll work. This is, a, this is a place where you say, I'm pointing you toward God. And God is the source of your hope. God is the source of making things work when they don't seem to be working. And, and where do we get that? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and the fill in the blank is what? Patience. This is a gift from God. This is a, the fruit of walking with God. It's not only love and joy, but it's, it's peace and it's patience. So when, when, I'm, when I'm not wanting to wait calmly without complaint, when I'm not willing to really endure what's going on, when I want things to be changed now rather than later, I, I need to turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I need not my patience because it has limits. I need your patience. So what is patience? Patience is being able to, to wait long with contentment, calmly without complaint. Where does it come from? It, it comes from the Spirit of God. Thirdly, how do we get better at it? Because we need to understand that Christian life is a journey. And sometimes we, we seem to, to, I know the way I am, I, you know, I have a checklist. Okay, here's the things I need to get better at. And once I'm better at I check it off. And then I go on to the next thing. But have you, have you realized in the Christian life you never check off certain things? <laughs> certain things. I mean, you might get a little better at it, but you never arrived. Anybody still with me? Okay. Yeah, we think, yeah, I've, you ever get tired of hear, learning the same lesson over and over again? Anybody been there? God, I thought I, thought I and I'd say that reverently, God, I thought I'd already got that done. You don't need to take me through that again. But, but he wants to deepen whatever character qualities he wants to develop in our lives. He wants to deepen our faithfulness. He wants to deepen who we are. And we keep getting, you know, some, some, um, some lessons taught multiple times to us. Well, how do we get better at it? Well, it's by putting our hope and our eager expectation in the coming of the Lord who will make all things right. Now, now that's kind of a mouthful, but let me, let me just read what he says multiple times in this text. In James chapter 5, he says, verse 7, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the what? The coming of the Lord. Now, now somehow he... He connects patience with what's going to come next. And what he's saying, what's going to come next, is the coming of the Lord. In fact, that same theme is on a verse you're all going to memorize this, this month, or month of November, verse 8. He says, you too be, what? Patient. And then to, to add that, he says, I want you to strengthen your hearts. Which is, it has the idea of simply saying, okay, you, you want to give up. Because when you lose heart, you've what? You've lost, really. 
If you lose heart, if you feel like there's, there's no hope, there's no, there's no reason to keep on going, if you, if you, some translations put establish yourself, uh, you know, dig in. You know, if you're a Cub fan, if you think now they're down 3-1, there's no hope, why play the what? The next game, right? If you've come to that place where you said, okay, it's hopeless, then you're going to give up. He says, hey, look, it's not hopeless. Strengthen your hearts. And then, he's, then again, he says, for the coming of the, the Lord is near. Now, why does he say that? And he, he says that again in these other texts as well. Because ultimately, we need to realize, when is everything going to be made right that is now wrong? When who comes? When Jesus comes. So, so the, really the question is, how, you know, or the answer to the question, how can a good God allow bad things to happen or, or people that we would say are, are not walking with him to prosper? Is God asleep on the throne? Why are, why are things happening that just aren't fair? Patsy's still with me. The rest, I'll have to start all over. Okay, let's go. What are the three principles? Okay, when, when life's not fair, okay, where is God? I mean, and, and there are those, and maybe some of you here this morning, you really struggle to believe there is a true God because you wrestle with the, the, the problem of evil. They call that the theodicy issue in seminary terms. How, how, do, you, how do you deal with, with life not being fair when there's an all-powerful God that's supposed to be good? Why, why does he right all wrong? Well, a couple things, and I'm not preaching on that this morning, you know, in its, in its totality, but if God were to eliminate all wrong in this world right now, who would, we have to, who would he have to eliminate? All of us, right? Okay, anybody want that as a solution? Okay, so, so realize there are things happening in our, you know, just our world system that's wrong, but look at, uh, as, I think it was, you don't know this person, C.K. Chesterton, the famous theologian of a time past, and they asked him, what's wrong in this world? And he said, it's me. But the issue is, when Jesus returns, everything will be changed. It's not if there is a good God who's all-powerful, can, can deal with evil. It's simply, when is he going to do it? And so no matter how bad it is now for the person who walks with the Lord in, in light of eternity. I mean, he had already said, our life is like a what? Vapor, you know. Strike that match, let it burn for a couple milliseconds, what it might be, it goes out. That's our life in, in comparison to eternity. In the midst of all that, why are we so worried about such a small period of time when it's going to get better? And, and so we are patient because we know what, what happens next. And in God's program, God wins, and who else wins? We with him. You know, some of you have faced <laughs> some serious surgeries recently. And when you face those surgeries, you know, the doctors will come, you know, sometimes they'll come to you and say, okay, you know, this is, I've done hundreds of these or thousands of these. Or, or they might say, you know, I'm not sure you're going to get out of it. Now, if they assure you, hey, I've this, you're, you're going to make it, you know, you know, you, you kind of breathe a sigh of relief. But there's still that chance that it might not happen. But if I could somehow, look, I'm guaranteeing there is absolutely no way this serious surgery is not going to go out well for you. Well, then all of a sudden, that wrong that was in your life, you're feeling pretty good. And then they say, hey, not only are you going to come out of this surgery well, but you're going to be better than new, right? 
changes everything, doesn't it? You know, they have some athletes that they'll, they'll tear something or whatever, and say, look, actually, when you, when, you, when you go through the rehab and the surgery, your, your leg will be stronger than it was before. I mean, their hope is just, is just risen to the top because, hey, I'll be a better player than I was before. And that's what he's saying to them. Look, at, some of you are going to encounter the sufferings of this world, and some of you are not going to make it. But I want you to know, be patient, wait, because Jesus is coming. And when he comes, everything's going to be right. And some have said this about the, the return of Jesus. It's going it's to be secret. In other words, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. And what happens, it's going to happen fast. It's going to be sudden. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, it's going to be like in the twinkling of an eye. And you know, how fast is a twinkle? I don't know. It's pretty fast. And what happens, it's going to be spectacular. And what happens, eventually there's going to be a separation from those who know him and don't know him. There will be a separation of evil from this universe. And at that point, everything that's right will be, continue to be right, and everything that's wrong will be righted. You know, the last book describes his full return in this way. James 21, he says, And I heard a loud voice, verses 3 through 5, from the throne saying, Behold, men, and he will dwell among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no longer any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain, the first things that passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. It's really our hope of the coming king that brings us hope in the midst of things that on a human level seem hopeless. And if we'll just wait on the Lord and not get so preoccupied by the things that just push our button, then, then we can even take those things that he's going to write in this life and say, God, I, I can wait on you because you're going to make it right. If not now, you will do it later. So what is patience? It's, it's, it's learning to wait on the Lord and, and do it calmly with content without complaint. It's realizing that sometimes God wants us to suffer long, not short. He wants us to be able to endure. And it's really a statement of faith, isn't it? And where does that come from? It doesn't come from, you know, just saying, I'm just going to be patient today. I'm not going to worry. I'm not going to be filled with, no, it's saying, Lord, I need to depend upon you. And I know you can handle my complaints. That I can complain to you, but then I need to turn to you. Well, who are the examples of this? And here's, here's the text that we're going to spend just a few minutes on. Well, first of all, it's, it's the farmer. Therefore, be patient, verse 7, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. The, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Now, I'm not a farmer or a son of a farmer, and quite frankly, I'm not much of a gardener either. I could tell you more stories about things that died and the things I've tried to grow than the things that have stayed alive. I've, uh, um, I'm still working on a few things, but, you know, it, it, but, you know, the farmer who really farms well, he, he doesn't get overwhelmed by what happens, you know, one day compared to another day in terms of the weather patterns. He, he's, he's kind of, he, he is aware that the rains come in certain periods of time. And, and if it's not raining in, in, in August, particularly in Jerusalem, they're, 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 I shouldn't expect it to rain in August. But there are the early and the late rains. 
And if I give up before the early rains come, then I'll never grow anything. And then when there's another period of time where I, I'm not getting the moisture I need or want and the, and the amount I want, if I, if I give up before those late rains come, I'm not going to grow anything. Or, or if I try to somehow make it happen by expecting, inspecting certain things when I shouldn't inspect them, uh, that's going to kill what I planted as well. Anybody ever, like, plant carrots? Okay, you know, what I like to do with, when I plant a carrot is I want to pull it up to see if the carrot's growing, right? And you know what happens? It, sin- it tends to stunt the growth of that carrot when I pull it up to see if it's there. And sometimes we do that. We're trying to pull things up before God says, hey, just give it time. Now, I don't like to hear that. I'm not, I'm right to, that's not my particular nature. But he's saying, look it, be like the farmer who allows the crops over time to grow. And decides, look, at worrying about it's not going to help those plants grow. Worrying about it's not going to bring the rain down sooner. I need to do what I need to do and then trust the one who controls all the weather patterns. So be, be like a farmer in your Christian life. And, and then he goes on and, and he says the same thing basically in verse 8. Be you, but you too be patient, strengthening your hearts for the coming of the Lord is near. And he said, look at Spiritually, what that means is wait for the Lord to return. And we are to expect His return. We, we ought to live every day in light of His return. But we're not going to tell Him when to return because He's going to come at His timetable. So just remain strong. Be like the farmer who waits on the God who brings the rain and the Father who's going to bring Jesus to this earth. But then he says in, in verse 9, and then consider the judge. He's an example too. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, so that you, you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. Now here, here, here James gets to meddling a little bit. Okay, I know we all struggle internally with our own patience and our own, you know, resisting, being content, and responding without uh, calmness and hanging in there. But you know what happens? Uh, not only do we sometimes fight internal complaints, but it spills over and lands on who? Other people. Anybody want to give a testimony? You know, when you're not patient, who usually knows it? Everybody else, right? They, they can just see it in you. Now, for those of us who uh, have, and I could point out people in, your room, in this room who I think have this, this tendency, you know, are, are a little bit control freaks, okay? Who like have things in control? I, I won't have you raise your hand, but um, uh, don't move a muscle here. I just saw uh, Chris. You just you know you kind of raise your hand, but anyway, is that you know some of us would like to have things in control? Okay, if you, you like to have things in control, then when things are not in control, uh, apart from complaining to God, and you you never want to point the finger at yourself, then it's very easy to point the finger at who. Someone else. Okay, Patsy and I are having this one sermon together. She's kind of getting it. Okay, you know what I mean? Is that when things, when things are not right, when th- things are happening you don't like, you begin to complain and blame others, right? And what he's saying here, don't do that. You know, it's not, it's not necessarily your fault or other people's faults. It's just happening. And even if it is, unless you're really being part of the solution, complain to them, particularly to complain other, to other people about them, that doesn't help. And, and I want you to understand that th- there is one who's going to f- fetter this all out. There's the judge that is to come. 
And have you ever know sometimes, you know, like you have children in the back seat and they're complaining with each other, just on each other, and you, and you tell them to be, you know, uh, let's say you set up the scene, they're, they're not even doing that. You go, you have to go away from the car for a second, you come back, and they're just bickering like crazy. But you can see it from a distance, but as soon as you get in the door, maybe they, they start to quiet down a little bit because they know you're going to start saying things to them. Or, or maybe the same thing. Let's, let's say you're complaining about the boss. You're, you're doing pretty well until the boss gets there. Or maybe you're complaining complain about somebody else who's not in the room, but as soon as they get there, you, you start to quiet down. And this is what he's saying here. Look at, consider the judge. The judge is going to come in, and, and he's, he's really going to point out clearly, are you blaming other people for you not being patient? And, and look at, no matter who's at blame, God still wants us to learn when life's not fair, to wait on him and be calm with contentment, filled with hope. Because the wrong things in this life that are wrong, God can change in this lifetime, but we know he's going to change it in a lifetime to come. And, and this whole idea of, of looking for the Lord's return, there are certain places in the world, they were saying, well, why are you preaching? This is obvious. We know our only hope in this, in this world is the world to come. But we get so caught up in America that we think life ought to be always good. And, and you know, that's, that's what's happening in the, in the struggle of the elections. And, you know, it's just a mess. But look at, their place in the world, they would love to have our problems right now, wouldn't they? And so we need to realize that there's a judge coming. And he's not impressed when we, we complain about people around us. And then finally... <laughs> The prophets and the man Job, that verses 10, 11. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. There's so many things that we could say about here. You know, in in Jeremiah 38, verses 3 through 6, there's an interesting story there about Jeremiah who's preaching to the Lord, telling people the truth, speaking to the people in positions of responsibility and power. And when he gives a message they don't like, you know what they do with him? They throw him in a pit. A pit that used to be a, a well, and, and the well is somewhat dried up, but really it's, it's just wet. And when, he, when he's thrown in the, in, in the well, it, there's still mud there, and he sinks down below to the point where he's going to be you know, just put to death by being filled with mud all over. He gets rescued, but this, this is the plight of him doing that which God wants him to do, and he gets thrown in a well that's going to just you know, physically you know, encompass him. And... and in Acts chapter 7, Stephen said, which of the prophets did you not persecute? This was the job description of a prophet. Do what God says, do what's right, and wrong things are going to happen to you. I don't want you. I don't want that job. Okay? And so consider the prophets. Life was never fair to them. Hebrews 11 said that they, had, they, they experienced all kinds of uh, suffering and martyrdom and just looking forward to the hope that was to come. Not only looking for Jesus coming again, but looking for Jesus coming the first time. So consider the prophets. They lived out life not being fair. And learned to be patient, to wait upon the Lord with contentment when they didn't know what the answer was going to be. And of course the man Job. Probably one of the more familiar stories in the Bible that, that even, you know, if you don't read the Bible a whole lot, you've heard the story of Job. You know, he was, he was a rich man, had a, had a great family. Things were going well, so well that he was the envy of everyone, and even the evil one, Satan, said, look at, I know why he trusts you, because everything goes right. 
I mean, uh, yeah, who, who wouldn't trust you when, when everything he touches turns to gold or whatever you want to describe that as a, as a cliche? And then he said, let me test him. Let, let me test him when, and, and make life not fair for him, and then let's see what's going to happen to him. So he takes away his family, he takes away his wealth. And he says, okay, and, and still he was doing pretty well. He says, well, let me take away his health. And in Job chapter 2, verses 7 through 10, we have this. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. Why? Because life is not fair. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. Shall we indeed accept good from, the, from God and not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not lie or did not sin with his lips. Now, it, it doesn't mean that Job didn't struggle, and we're going to struggle. There, there's a verse in Job 13 um, that usually people only quote half of it. It says, though he slay me, I will hope in him. But it's not a period there, it's a comma. Nevertheless, I will argue my ways before him. Which means there's a place where we vent toward God, but then we turn to God. And we say, God, I know life's not fair, and I should not be surprised by it. We all get surprised when life is not fair. We should not be surprised. And what's the solution? Well, I got three principles for you. <laughs> be patient. Be patient. Be patient. But so what? How are, we, how are we handling life when life's not fair? Let's be patient. Let's be patient. Let's be patient. Let's pray. Father, we... Uh, we know your word gives us counsel and wisdom for life, and sometimes uh, we delight to hear, and sometimes we are, we are sobered by the simplicity of it, but the difficulty of it. Uh, Father, the, the truth is, when we come to that place where we really can wait upon you and trust you, that you are good, and it's not a matter if you'll do something, but when, then we can rest, that our confidence can be put in you. If I pray for each one of us here, no matter what we're going through, uh, that we might learn to wait upon you and do it with as much calmness and contentment as we can, being willing to, to vent to you but then turn to you in trust. If anyone here this morning doesn't know, you might they realize this is the only place for strength and hope and confidence is to turn to the Lord for a relationship with Jesus. And then being able to go through life with confidence because of who you are. Help us to live for you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.